Welcome back, creeps. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another wonderful episode of Weekly Creep. My name is Adam, and this is Dulce. Buenos dias. Me llamo Dulce. Yeah, she's the Spanish translator for this show. <laughs> um, if this is your first episode, usually I tell a line, and then Dulce will translate it into Spanish. <laughs> and we just have to trust that she's not, like, giving mixed messages or, like, doing it wrong on purpose. Mis pies... Están muy grandes. Yeah. Y como muchos fideos, porque soy vegano. I'm not sure. I know that the last bit was <laughs> soy vegano. I just said I have big feet and I eat a lot of noodles because I'm vegan. <laughs> so if this is your first episode, th that's not what we do. I always forget, like every few episodes, I'll be like, oh, we should probably introduce ourselves because... Like, every episode is somebody's first episode, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, they're always, Hopefully. they're always coming over. They know who we are. Yeah. It's basically you come. This this is the role play that I have in my head. You are, you the listener, just someone that comes by for a cup of tea and just listens to us talk. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, I kind of practice my fun facts now on, like, the dudes in work. I'm like, guess what? Or, like, they'll say something like, oh, I have, like, a can of orange juice or, well, nobody has a can of orange juice, but, like, I brought this <laughs> bottle of orange juice to work or something. I'll be like, ah, oh, did you know that orange juice was actually used in blah, 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 blah. And then they're like, please stop. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, I'm going to hand in my notice. I'm like, I just don't get it. Yeah. How was your week? It was pretty good. Um, So, I decided to do Vlogmas. Oh, yeah. Which is, if you, which is, if you don't know... Um, I'm recording every day or streaming every day for the month of December. I had a late start. I started my first stream on December 3rd. Usually it starts on the 1st. Okay. Um, and on the way to work this morning, in my usual fashion, I was just thinking about things. Um, and on my drive, I was like, you know what? I should make TikToks every day too for the month of December. So I'm streaming my videos on okay. Twitch. I'm uploading them to YouTube and, um, the same day. And I'm also making TikToks every day. Wow. Yeah. So I'm hoping I'll like learn something about myself as I do these things. Yeah. What that is or what it's going to be about. I've yet. To, we don't know yet. And that's pork chop. That's pork chop, just making a fucking ruckus. So yeah, you're basically treating it like a personal journal. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I think I'm like, I I think I'm gonna have like different topics, not anything like too hardcore. You know, yeah. like I'm not gonna teach you how to install a washer and dryer, <laughs> like that kind of intensity, or anything like that. Um, if you do need to know these things, you can message me though. I could I could teach it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, so I'm just really curious to see how this will unfold. Right on. Well, I had a week. Nice. <laughs> no, I actually, I was like, I'm going to sit down and think about this. I've been getting up early, trying to make a good habit. And I also worked an extra day because we're going away. We're not away. We're going to Austin tomorrow to see our, like, joint favorite band, July Talk. They're coming from Canada. I'm very excited about that. But, like, also, 
I feel like I had a traumatic week. Why? So when I went to the park the other day, if if anybody follows my personal Instagram page, which is Adam Lynch forty four at Gmail, or <laughs> which is Adam Lynch forty four, I think something like that. Anyway, if anybody follows that page, you'll see I posted a picture of a rooster, Enrico, or Ricky the rooster. And I made a little story underneath. I was like, you know, this is Enrico, recently lost his love, Henrietta. But that was actually true. So when I got to the park, I had packed my camera in the car just in case that they were there again. And so I was like jogging, doing my little jog around the park. I was like, oh, there's Enrico. Cool. And I was like, where's Henrietta? And then I found Henrietta and she actually had become somebody's dinner overnight. And I was like, oh, man, that's fucking grim. And for some reason, it really stuck with me like throughout the day. Like I was I was just like, oh, it's a dead animal, whatever. But yeah, it really stuck with me. So I did reach out to our friend Haley and asked what like the symbolic significance is. And she said a dead chicken means like it's like what the death card for the, the tarot card. Mm. So like it can symbolize like the start of a new beginning, that kind of thing. Mm. So that made me feel a little bit better. And then that night. We both wake up at three o'clock in the morning to just some person walking past our fucking house howling like a wolf. (laughs) I thought I dreamt it and I woke up and I was like, kind of wasn't even thinking about it. And then you were like, you heard that too. (laughs) Um, So that was weird. So I was like awake from three o'clock. Then I just didn't go back to sleep after that. Just in case, you know. Yeah. Had to protect all the cats and stuff. Right. From a werewolf. Um, but yeah, no, it was just like a weird, then I spent the whole day in work on my own, which is another like weird thing. It just feels like I'm stuck in purgatory or something. Mm. It's like liminal space. I know that's like a a hot word at the minute. Is it? Yeah. Well, to me, it keeps popping out everywhere. Yeah. Mm. Liminal space. And I would pay attention. Yeah. But that's exactly how work feels like. So anyway, look, we're here now. And, uh. Overall, it was a pretty good week, though. I really liked Enrico's pictures, how they turned out. Proud of that. Me too. He has a really good coat, foliage. Yeah, I don't know. Feathers, he looks nice. Yeah. (laughs) He's a handsome bird. He's a nice boy. And I was talking to the, the dude who runs the park, or who works at the park, and he told me that... um. Enrico and Henrietta had actually just been like dropped off there by some randomers. Like they just arrived one morning and they were there. So, uh, I mean, it was nice that they were able to look after them until Henrietta was no more. Anyway, do you have a tarot card for us? Yes, I do. Tell us. Okay. You will see a dead chicken today. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So tarot card of the day is Ace of Wands. Look for inspiration everywhere today. Be ready to write down notes so you don't forget the ideas that pop into your head. Even if something seems impossible or way too big, write it down. You never know. That's a very motivational, inspirational card. See, si. I like that. I carry multiple notebooks at all time because I'm a fucking nightmare. I'm like, this one's for my personal stuff, this one's for uh, podcast stuff, and this one's for extra personal stuff. Like, 
<laughs> Is that what I end up writing down? Hmm. Nothing. <laughs> you just like having notebooks? Yeah. I'm like, this this notebook is going to solve all of my fucking problems. Just you wait. <laughs> and then I spend like fucking $16 on one that I... Anyway. <clears throat> I think that's actually... Like, I'm pretty sure there's people out there going to be like, mm-hmm. yep, yep, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. I'm this close to buying like a nice uh, calendar thing. Yeah. What are they called? You can have three of them. Like a diary. Agenda. Yeah. Mm. Um, For 2023. Anyway... Today's story is a little bit different than our usual stuff. There's a hint of true crime, but it's honestly just a pretty heartwarming story. And I I really just wanted to share it because it was such a nice story. And I hope everybody likes it because I fucking love it. Do you know where your passport is? No. Me neither. And I really think we should find them. But you're going to need it for today's episode because we're going overseas. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we're going to Tonga. Okay. Have you ever heard of Tonga? No. I don't think I've ever heard of it before either. It's an archipelago. Okay. Is that is that how you say that? Yeah, it's Arch- a collection of islands, right? Yeah, 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 a whole bunch of islands, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in See, the it's south, not Titanus. <laughs> I no, I just meant was I pronouncing it properly? <laughs> is it archipelago or is I think so. archipelago? I think it depends on where you're from, actually. All right. Anyway, it's a bunch of islands in the uh, South Pacific. Get ready for some very brief, not really uh, double-checked Google and Wikipedia facts real quick. So, Tonga is a Polynesian kingdom of 171 South Pacific islands, 45 of which are uninhabited. Most lined in white beaches and coral reefs and covered with tropical rainforest. Hmm. Beautiful. Its total surface area is about 700. 50 square kilometers or 290 square miles scattered over 700,000 kilometers of the South Pacific or 270,000 square miles of sea. The main island is called Tonga Tapu and its capital is Nuku'alofa. Tonga has a population of about 106,000 people and 70% of those live on Tonga Tapu. For a little bit of perspective... It's about a three-hour flight from Auckland, New Zealand, and just under 500 miles from Fiji. I did a little Google Map tour of Tonga, and it's, like, magnificent, obviously. Like, exactly what you would expect of a tiny South Pacific island. But, like, even just in Google Maps, like, as you pan around, like, the water is, it looked, like, eye level with you. Mm -hmm. Like, it looked like it was ready to just pour in. Mm. Like it really freaked the shit out of me. Maybe it was just be like a trick of the camera or something, but I didn't like it. Really fucking freaked me out. Our story today takes place in June of 1965 and it starts at St. Andrew's College, a Christian boarding school in Nuku'alofa on the island of Tongatapu. A group of six boys who were fed up with the strict rules, bad dinners and usual school bullshit started to talk about going on an adventure. They came up with a plan to steal a boat and sail off to Fiji or New Zealand in the middle of the night. How hard can that be, right? They weren't exactly quiet about this like foolproof plan either. But I think all the other lads at school just thought they were full of shit. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably every year somebody starts saying like, you know, this is it. We're going to sail off. We're going to be rock stars or do whatever. But this group of adventure seekers proved them all wrong. One night, they decided it was time. 
and equipped with two sacks of bananas, some coconuts and a gas burner, they snuck out of the school and hopped into a boat belonging to Mr. Taniela Uhila. I hope I'm pronouncing these right. They picked his boat because he was just a cranky old kid and they thought he deserved it. <laughs> they were like, fuck this guy. They sailed, they sailed off into the night, successfully undetected. Six boys, Luke, Sione, Devita, Colo, Stevene and Mano. They had their few supplies, no map and no compass. Apparently Tevita, the youngest, was only invited because he was the only one who actually knew how to sail a boat. <laughs> now I read different reports, but I think at this point they were between 13 and 17. Okay. Okay. So it was about two or three in the morning when they actually snuck out. They dropped anchor around five miles offshore and they fished for a while to try and stock up. And then they were rocked off to sleep, like by the gentle rolling of the waves, I guess. Only to be rudely awakened a little while later by huge waves crashing into the boat. The anchor rope had snapped and they drifted out into terrible weather. Oh. They threw up the sail when they woke up, but the wind was so strong it literally just ripped it apart. Oh. They managed to use a blanket in its place and eventually like the weather calmed down, but they had lost a lot of their already limited food supply. The Oof. boat had taken on water and finally their rudder had actually broken. They had no way to control this thing. Devita said that they felt no fear throughout this. In fact, they were still in relatively good spirits with Sione, who was the eldest fella, saying, when we get home, we must tell Daniela that his boat is just like himself. <laughs> Too old and cranky. <laughs> Devita said he was just like, we were young. Yeah. We didn't Understand. know what fear was. Like, you know, yeah, so yeah. they were just the adventure mode. They were like, ah, yeah, oh, yeah. this is fucking great. But for the next eight days, the boys floated on the open sea. Wow. Powerless to control the direction of their rudderless boat. They had no food, no fresh water. They collected rainwater in their used coconut shells and limited each other to a sip in the morning and a sip in the evening. Sione had the idea of boiling seawater using the little gas stove, but ended up spilling it and actually burning his leg. Ugh. I don't think it was like bad or anything, yeah, yeah, but yeah. still. This, I think, was for the best, though, because I checked and you actually can't drink boiled seawater. Mm. I didn't think you could, but I had to be sure. But yeah, so the yeah, salt... Yeah, I wasn't sure either. Yeah, the salt doesn't leave it. That only works for fresh water. Oh. Just in case anybody out there is thinking, you know, I've got a great idea if I'm ever stranded on the beach. According to one source that I read, the boat eventually broke apart and the boys were just in the water swimming with the aid of the planks from the boat. Oh, wow. Because... Like whatever damage had happened during that little storm, the mm -hmm. boat had been filled with water anyway. And no matter how much they tried to like dump it out, it just kept coming in. And There was a leak. Yeah. They actually ended up like swimming essentially for almost 36 hours Jesus. at the end. Yeah. But finally, on the eighth day of floating listlessly across the ocean, they saw something creep into view on the horizon. Uh-oh. Land. Oh, oh <laughs> shit. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't Jaws. Don't worry. But it wasn't Fiji or New Zealand like they had hoped. It was a small island named Atta, 160 kilometers from Tongatapu. Atta was once home to around 350 people who lived in or around one village named Kolomale. 
But in 1862, the Peruvian government came up with this fantastic plan to, quote, invite indentured laborers to collect guano on Peru's Chincha Islands. That's bat poop. That is bat poop. And indentured laborers is slavery. (laughs) Um, But I think, I genuinely think Peru might have had, you know, good intentions Uh starting out in this plan. Like... The idea was the government was going to create jobs by paying the captains of these ships to go and collect willing participants to come and see a new part of the world. Maybe not get paid all too much, but they would have like food and shelter and like a new life, essentially. Mm -hmm. But by June of 1863, these captains, or at least the captain of the whaling ship called the Grecian, had changed their tactics to just straight up kidnapping. Shanghai. Not even Shanghai. <laughs> uh. So Shanghai was when like they would get them all drunk. Oh, is that? And dumped them into the tunnels. Okay. And then they would wake up in Shanghai, right? Shanghai. Yeah, so not quite. This captain was called Thomas James McGrath, an Irishman, actually. So for those who don't know, Australia was like most of the world colonized by Britain essentially but it was actually used as a place to send their worst criminals yeah it was a punishment to Uh send people there so around this time that's how it was for America for a while too yeah yeah Yeah. part of it yeah but around this time around the 1860s basically if you were a white Australian you were either a pure criminal or you're one tough bastard living in a criminal with the wombat with the wombats yes fun fact did you know that wombats can fly no yeah google it so anyway by this time the people of Atta were familiar with like ships showing up and like trading goods with them and obviously these people would be bringing like spices and probably very bland generic stuff for them but to an islander who has never seen any of this it was like actual fair trade when the Grecian showed up, however, he brought whales. He didn't bring whales because I'll tell you why in a minute. Wait, the boat was a whaling ship. The boat was a whaling ship. So he didn't bring the whales. Well, it he turns... killed the whales. That's what a whaling ship is, right? Yeah. Okay. But... Now I was just, uh, just trying to make sure. Okay. You good? I couldn't remember <laughs> which one it was. Like, does it bring whales or do you use it to hunt whales? <laughs> when the Grecian showed up off the rocky coast of Atta. The mayor of Colomale went out to meet him like he would all of the other trade ships to see what's on there. Are these people like, you know, good intentions, whatever. He then returned to his people with instructions for how the trading would go down. It was a bit strange, but he said each family was to send a good looking man aboard with whatever they had to sell. Once the Atta people were aboard, they would go down below decks. All trading was to take below decks. So I think he was making it out to be like, you know, this guy's got some really cool shit, but just in case somebody's passing by, we can't have them see it. Obviously, once they were under in the tween decks, as it's called, they were in the various rooms and they were being fed and all the doors were locked. And that was that. I actually read an interview with a man who was on board the Grecian and he said that the captain had hired all these sailors right under the impression that they were actually going whaling. But when he told him his actual plan, that they were going slave hunting, eight of the men on his ship just said, no fucking way. Like, I'm having no part of this. And I feel like good for them. Yeah. 
like standing up to their captain literally in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, that takes balls. Yeah. And this captain was a heartless bastard, right? Like it wasn't just, oh, I'm just transporting these people from one place to the next. He could have just dropped off his his crew in the middle of the ocean, but instead he dropped them off on a desert island with no supplies, no money, no nothing. Luckily, it was like the first mate like rowed them to the island. Uh And when they landed on the shore within five minutes, a missionary was sent to them to say, you need to get off this island. The natives are going to kill you. So luckily, the first mate rowed them back to the Grecian but when they got back on the Grecian, the first mate got chewed out by this Captain McGrath. Uh-huh. So anyway, they sailed for another couple of days and he dropped them off on another island. And this said, time he just said, fuck you. Like, just go. You're gone. Luckily, this time they were able to trade with the natives on this island. And they were then taken on like a two week walk to the other end of the island to like the British um, ambassador, basically, for the island. So that's how we got this story. They were, just by chance, they were put on a colonized island with a British ambassador. Whoa. Yeah, and... The people on the island were like, just take them back to where other of their kind are. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, because they're organizing the island, right? And it's like, let's just put these <laughs> over here. <laughs> like, <laughs> you go here. <laughs> this has a place. This has a place. Yeah. <laughs> But like this, it was just a, a little insight into how messed up life was back then. Like it was just fucking nuts. But again, fair play to these guys for standing up to that lunatic of a captain. One sailor said at Atta, this guy was actually there when it happened. Quote, the captain there induced a large party of natives to come on board to trade. And while they were dining on the tween decks, he closed the hatches upon them men, women and children, to the number of about 130 and sailed with them for the Peruvian coast. Now that guy got, he actually did want to get off originally and I guess he was like just being quiet but then when he saw it actually happen, he was like, no, 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 I got to get out of here and eventually met with the other guys like just randomly. From here, McGraw went to more islands and stole more people but not nearly as much as the initial 130 from Atta. Along the way, he met up with an actual slave ship called the General Prim, who took the 174 total Tongan natives because, as he explained, McGrath didn't have a, quote, labor license. A labor license was a license which was given to boats back in the day to say, no, you're good to go and just kidnap people from their home. So fucking weird. Yeah, right. So that was the license to actually be a slave ship whereas McGrath didn't have that because he was supposed to be a whaler but not only that he had actually stolen that boat he had taken the boat in good faith and then gone rogue Uh the owner of the boat hadn't seen him in like two or three years oh wow yeah he was also wanted for tax evasion like what a fucking in 1863 yeah like pirates and shit you know what I mean yeah but at the same time our man H.H. Holmes had just been born like a couple of years prior. So like there's the modern world up in Chicago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like skyscrapers and shit. Mm-hmm. Whereas down here in the South Pacific, all this madness is still going on. Mm-hmm. It's so weird. Anyway, the Tongans were taken to Peru, but the general, but the general Prim was not allowed to land because Peru in the meantime 
had cancelled all labour licences after suddenly finding out that people were not being, quote, honourable about it. Oh, you mean that they were actually being slaves? Yeah. The Peruvian government chartered ships to take all these people back to their respective islands, either as a genuine apology or because other countries by now were actually just throwing shade on them. It sounds like maybe Peru were a little bit late to the slave trade and got in when it wasn't like fashionable Mm. anymore. So now all these other like more modern countries were like, now, now, like we've stopped doing it. Now you have to stop doing it. Interesting. Yeah. It was kind of like that was the subtle kind of subtext that I got from these few articles from back then. Uh Because some of them just completely whitewashed it and were like, Making out like these natives were going on like Erasmus year from college, you know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, everybody had a great time, you know, they got fed, they got to see all the sights. Whereas, no, they didn't, like, you know what I mean? They were definitely just... That's another layer of whitewashing, isn't it? Because to say it's fashionable is also whitewashing. Well, no, 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 that was my words. Oh. But that's how it seemed now. Okay. Anyway, unfortunately, the dude in charge of the return ship, the Atlante just so happened to have been one of the most successful slavers right up until his license got revoked. So, he was not exactly the most moral of men. But the government had paid him $30 per head for over 200 people of the South Pacific Islands. Instead of bringing them all the way back home, though, he was like, well, there's an island. Let's just leave them here. Jesus. So he did. He left all 200 of them there. This was in October. And kind of like, I mean, luckily enough, an actual whaling ship happened to be going past the island, saw the group of people there. This was like two or three weeks later. And they went back to the Peruvian government. But because this was all like taking weeks of time over, like, you know, sailing the fucking open seas. Mm -hmm. By the time the Peruvian government sent one of their own actual warships back because they were like, right, look, let's just handle this ourselves instead of outsourcing it to an ex-slaver. By the time they got back, it was late November and this group of 200 people had dwindled down to only 38. That's so sad. Yeah, because they were just left out in the elements. Right. They were brought back to Peru this time rather than trying to get them back to their actual homes. And it's assumed that they assimilated with the local population. Wow. Yeah, we don't know. Like, I don't think there was a record of names or anything like that. Yeah. Anyway, back at the island of Ata, however, because there was now only around 200 people left, the Tongan king sent ships to relocate them to Yua, an island that was, I think it's just next to Tongatapu. So they would be safer and the king could actually look after them. Okay. The mayor of um, the village of Anata, uh-huh. it was thought that he was actually in on the whole thing as well. So he was blamed for setting his own people up. Like, it said that Captain McGrath paid him a handsome sum. Oh. He went back to his people and were like, yeah, 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 go on over. He's got loads oh. of all this nice shit. Wow, what a dick. Yeah. But this has never been proved. Okay. And his family... Alleged dick. Alleged dick. But his family suffered for years. Like On I'm talking, rumor. Yeah. Oh, wow. Like, up until, like, modern times. No shit. Yeah, it's like, don't trust them. They're, uh, I think, uh, Vehi. 
so the mayor, his first name was Paul. A lot of these people actually have like regular English names, but when they're talking in the interviews, um, they have like their own pronunciations, but it's just Paul on paper. In very recent times, investors have toyed with the idea of setting Atta up as a luxury island with like, you know, golf courses and resorts, all this kind of crap. But it has been deemed just too inhospitable and therefore has been uninhabited ever since 1863 when the small population met its miserable demise. And it was here that the six Tongan teenagers tried desperately to get ashore. Mano was the first one to reach land, scratched and bruised from the rocks, so weak from dehydration and hunger that he couldn't even stand when he got onto the beach. But he called out for the lads, and gradually they all made their way to him. All six of them. Whoa. Yeah. Where they landed, there was nothing but sheer cliffs. Like, the lowest point is a thousand feet. They managed to get some shelter in a little outcropping part of the cliff. And this would be their house for the next 100 days. They survived on raw fish and raw seabirds. Drinking the blood of the birds to stay hydrated. What? Yeah. So they had learned, like... Again, this was the 60s. This was modern times. But they had kind of like learned some like hunting techniques and that from like their parents. We would be. First of all, I can't even swim. So like I wouldn't yeah. have even been in the boat. But if I did land on this island, this particular island, I would have just been dead from dehydration in no time. These guys are like, no, no, no. I know this bird. I can drink its blood and stay hydrated. Wow. Yeah. So for the next three months, they tried a way, They tried to find a way up the mountain. Every day trying to find a route to the top, which, like I said, was a thousand foot at its lowest point. They eventually did, though, and it took them two days. They had to spend the night in another little outcropping. They called it a coconut grove. So just like a chunk out of the mountain where it was like sheltered for them to stay. Yeah. But on this night, while they're in this coconut grove, they found old knives from the people who lived there at least a century before. Now, Sione said it felt like they had the spirit of these people with them. Mm. It was like such an uplifting moment in their this whole fucking catastrophe. They hadn't even managed to light a fire at this point. That's interesting. Yeah. And here they find these knives in the dirt. Yeah. All of a sudden they can open all these coconuts that's around uh, them. They're yeah. drinking like such an uplifting moment. With their newfound tools, they like opened the coconuts got well fed that night and it encouraged them to keep going. So finally, the next day, they made it to the top. It must have felt like they finally found paradise at this point because the climate at the top was completely different to at the, like on the beach. It was breezy and there was pineapples, bananas, pawpaws, beans Whoa. and a ton of chickens. What? Yeah, so they kept calling them uh, like jungle fell. But when I looked that up, they looked... To me, it looked like fucking Enrico that I took a picture of the other yeah. day. But they're said to, that they're not like domestic. So they're much slimmer, more like muscly uh-huh. and way fucking faster and harder to catch. Oh, wow. So anyway, the people that had once inhabited the island had raised these fowl. And since the people had left, they probably didn't have like a natural predator or anything. So they yeah. were just rampant in abundance. Yeah. Whoa. All these friends. All these friends. All yeah. these new friends. Now, I don't know at what point the lads finally managed to light a fire, but I'm pretty sure it was after they got to the top. 
like the conditions were probably better. I think they didn't even have like wood down at the beaches, like to or a decent place to set up a fire. Yeah. Either way, it took them a very, very long time, but they finally got got one lit. Stephen was the one, or Stevene was the one who actually lit the fire, and like literally by rubbing two sticks together. It wasn't Ryan. What? Oh yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> Ryan started the fire. <laughs> That's a very deep dive, I feel, or a deep joke for her. Uh, yeah, deep. Was it deep office joke? <laughs> yeah, deep office joke. But no, so he had literally been like rubbing sticks together at this point for three months, trying his fucking heart and soul to get a fire lit. And finally, they got one. And they never let it go out after this point. They took it, they kept it in their shelter. They kept like multiple fires going all around the island in case, the, in case somebody came by. All of this stuff. And that first night, they cooked up a little island feast. They cooked bananas. They had a tortoise that they had brought with them from the beach. They they weren't vegan. (laughs) (laughs) This night, they finally managed to cook the seabirds that they had been catching every day. Uh, Like, everything was coming up for these Tongan teenagers. Everything was coming up chickens. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But back home, like, their families were all obviously devastated. They had held funerals for their adventurous boys, but these kids were thriving. Yeah, now they were. Even up until now, now they were like thriving X2, but mm-hmm. like even before they were doing very well for themselves, you know, like all things considered. They would start out every morning with prayers and songs to boost their spirits. One of them even made a little guitar out of shipwreck wood and coconuts. Wow. Yeah. How interesting. I know. Like the... I. My mind was fucking blown. The mentality of these kids. Yeah. Wow. They managed to get fresh water from certain trees. It would take them four days to bore deep enough into the trees with these old knives that they had found. But they did it. That's how determined they were. Yeah. They wove a kind of blanket for their shelter because once they lit the fire, all the like rats and other animals on the island. Now, not like New York rats. Like these are relatively clean animals. Yeah. But still, they were, like, attracted to the heat and they would be in the shelter at night. So they, like, wove blankets out of uh, leaves and stuff. And, like, just the pure restraint and discipline that they showed, I think it's the most admirable admirable part of their entire story. They had a workout routine because they knew how important this was, not just for their physical survival, but for their own mental health. Wow. Yeah. Every night they made a game out of chasing the free-roaming chickens. (laughs) Obviously, it was probably a lot of fun. But the chickens hated it. The chickens hated it. But also, they viewed it as, like, cardio. Yeah. They're like, no, 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 this needs to be done. The chickens are like, we hate our new neighbors. (laughs) (laughs) Everything was fine until they came (laughs) Um, But they didn't eat the chickens. Wow. They farmed the chickens. They brought them back to their, like, little camp setup. Uh And just hung out. They built, like, pens for them because this is how... Um, disciplined they were they would continue to eat the seabirds because they were easy prey and they would save the chickens for like stormy nights you know what I mean Mm -hmm. how interesting yeah and as well as this they were also like eating the eggs they Mm. were just not even cooking them or anything they would just pop a little hole in the top and drink the eggs straight out like a little nature slurpee well I would imagine they wouldn't have to worry about salmonella right I don't know actually that's a good question I mean, a lot of people... 
Because they're like wild birds. Yeah, right? I don't I don't know at what point salmonella comes in. I was only thinking about that the other day. Mm. Anyway, so they at one point they had two hundred of these chickens. Wow. Caged up, ready to go. And even at that point, they weren't like, Do you know what, fuck it, let's have a bit of chicken tonight. Yeah. They were still going and catching their seabirds. They would catch two seabirds a day and try and limit their food intake, again, for their health. They built a little badminton net, rackets and all. <laughs> they had a gym area with makeshift weights. They even started replanting things, like planning for their future. They were farming. They were So, like, like are they... So they're not planning on building a boat and trying to find home. They're like, okay, well, I guess this is our home now. They, I think they were just very level-headed. And they were like, while we're here, we need to prepare because we don't know how long we're going to be here for. I see. Okay. If we end up here forever, at least we're going to take care of ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. But as well, I feel like there was a sense of... Like, we have all of this stuff here because the past people left it here for us. So now we need to take care of it. Interesting. Because of them. Yeah. You know? Now, it nowhere did I read that outright. That was just the impression that I got from them. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. They were very, um, they were just very, like, mindful. Yeah. Of everything that they did, it seemed like. And it wasn't all roses and everyone living in harmony all the time. But... <laughs> And this is, like, it's cute. If any of them started arguing or anything, which they were fucking They're hormonal dudes. teenage boys. Yeah. They would be sent to opposite ends of the island to cool down. They would be left alone for around three or four hours. And then finally they were invited back. And they would be told, now shake his hand and make friends again. Because <laughs> be- we're on this fucking island. <laughs> exactly. But... They had been divided into like teams of two. So like, and I don't know whether they would change their like roles or not, uh-huh. but there would be two of them would be gardening. Two of them were on lookout. Two of them were hunting or, you know, doing whatever. Yeah. And again, I don't know whether that changed around. So I would imagine it was those groups that probably fought most yeah. often, you know. They all had buddies. Yeah. They're on a buddy system. But as well, just to show like, what they were going through, they were so young that they would use this time to just go off and cry. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because they were, like, everything they had been through. They'd have to process it. I mean, yeah, and they never did. And and, I, and that makes sense because, like, when you don't have the distractions, you're forced to process. Yeah. Obviously, well, I mean, is, isn't there, like, a sort of uh, theory or of, like, your necessities? It's, like, once you're basic necessities are met like food and all that stuff because that's going to be your focus once that's met then you move on to the next tier of your necessities what the uh what I'm is that called probably going to get this name it's the hierarchy of needs Laz- yeah is it laslo Laszlo's i, I can't hierarchy? remember I somebody can't somebody's remember. probably screaming it right now yeah somebody's just shouting at the car radio but <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously like and i'm not ever going to say like toxic masculinity is a good thing but I would imagine me as a teenage boy, I wasn't going to be showing my mates like I'm really sad and I'm going to go off and have a cry because I miss my mom. I'd say they all had the mentality of this is our adventure. This is the image that we're going to project is successful boys all enjoying their time together. 
But as soon as they were alone, like that facade was gone. Mm -hmm. And it was just, I'm a little boy and I'm lost in the woods. Yeah. You know? That again, this is just my impression. Oh, and I actually don't know if I left it in my notes, but they did try and get off the island as well. Mm. Um, They fashioned the... Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, so one day they did fashion like a raft of sorts, but the sea around the island was so rough. Like this, I'm not like still today, they're saying like, no, it's just, it's a write-off at this point. It's uninhabitable because they can't even get like a safe place to dock boats still. The rocks are so jagged and the waves are so rough. So the lads got out a little bit, but the waves tore the raft apart. And thankfully they were able to get back. And I think that's probably the best thing that ever happened to them because if they had managed to go a little bit further on their raft, they probably wouldn't have lasted all that long mm. actually floating around on this makeshift raft. But other like shitty things happened to them as well. Like one night during a storm, a huge tree crashed to their shelter. Oh, shit. Yeah. Thankfully, no one was hurt, but they said it was like inches from when they were where they were sleeping. Yeah. And not only this, it could have knocked out their fire. Which took them three months. Oh yeah, to, that would know. have been bad. But the worst thing that happened, other than the fact that they were, you know, stranded on a fucking on island. Yeah. <laughs> um, around six months into living on the island, Stefane had a pretty bad accident. Collecting the seabirds meant that they would scale down these sheer cliffs. Oh Jesus! To where the nests, to where the nests were, Fuck. and this one day. Stephen, yeah, but the worst part was they had had enough birds and him and his partner were like, all right, we're done now. But he saw another nest like not too far away. He was like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to go down and grab one more. He slipped and fell 40 feet. Oh, my God. He broke one of his legs. Oh, my God. Like, and bad. But the lads managed to get him back to camp. They set his leg with sticks leaves and rope that they had fashioned from coconuts or tree bark or fucking something. And even this didn't dampen their spirits because when they had him laid up and like as stable as they were going to get him, Mm -hmm. Sione was still able to like joke with him, telling Stefane not to worry. They'd do all his work while he was here, laid up like the King of Tonga. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they were still like, they knew that if they didn't be happy around one another, everything was just going to fall apart. Jesus Christ. And they did. Oh, sorry. Here was my thing about them escaping on the raft. So I don't know whether that was before or after um, Stevani broke, or yes, yeah, Stevani broke his leg. But like I said, in retrospect, I think it's the best thing that they didn't escape. Back on Tonga Tapu, another runaway of sorts had a meeting with the actual king not Stefane set up with his broken leg. He, this guy was asking permission to catch lobster in Tongan waters. His name was Captain Peter Warner. And Pete was the youngest son of Arthur Warner, who was one of the richest men in Australia at one point. I think in the 1930s or something, he was like the top dog. He owned a company called Electronic Industries, which, quote, dominated the country's radio market at the time. Which... In the 1930s, that was your one and only media outlet, basically, Yeah, was radio. And this guy had a monopoly on it. Anyway, Peter was going to be his dad's protege and he was going to run the company one day. 
But at 17, he ran away looking for adventure, saying, quote, I'd prefer to fight nature rather than human beings. Human beings? Human beings. <laughs> <laughs> what did he do? Jumped on a fucking fishing boat. <laughs> Seriously. Jesus, I'm laughing because like everybody's way to fuck you is just to yeah. jump on a ship. I know. So I actually, I don't know 100% if it was a fishing boat, but he sailed all over the world on various ships, like literally Asia to Europe, like those kind of runs. And at the age of 22, he arrived back home with his very own captain's certificate, proud as punch. But his dad told him that he wanted him to learn a, quote, useful profession. Go to your room. Yeah. He's like, oh, you think this is going to impress me? How? Like, can you imagine coming back home after five years on the open seas and your dad's like, go get a real job? Yeah, <laughs> I can. I can. My mom's Mexican. Of course okay. I can. My parents are proud of me like, when I wipe my own eyes, so I can't relate. But anyway, Peter was like, do you know what? Fuck it. Fine. What's the easiest thing I can do to keep you fucking happy? And his dad lied and he was like, accountancy. So he went to college for another five years just to keep his dad happy and then got a job with his dad's company. But in the meantime, like he still owned his own fleet of fishing boats as like a passion project or a side hustle just. Okay. And whenever he would have any free time, he would fly to uh, like Tasmania or something where he kept the boats. So I guess all his vacation time went into this. And this is why he was on Tonga Tapu in 1966 asking for the king's permission to fish in the royal waters. Mm -hmm. The king told him no. So Peter, defeated but still wanting to make use of his trip, set sail and aimed to fish just outside of royal waters. And this trip took him just down past the island of Atta. While they were there, they noticed little black spots high up on the island, but he knew that wildfires were unlikely in this region. And soon, the chap up in the crow's nest started saying that he could hear people shouting. Whoa. Now this guy was like, the captain was like, well, you're fucking mad. It's birds. Yeah. You fucking idiot. Like, just <laughs> keep an eye out for, I don't know, pirates or whatever they're doing up there. It's sea penguins. Yeah, watch out for sea penguins, you twat. But pretty soon they saw this completely naked figure just running and jumping into the sea. What? And then he was getting closer. And then there was five more of them following. And then these six nude boys, complete with long hair and everything, wow. were just at his ship. And Captain Peter was like, I'm not letting my fucking ladder. I don't know who you are. Like, you can swim back to your fucking island. I'm nothing to do with you. Because Peter had heard tales of certain islands within the South Pacific uh, marooning their worst criminals just to get them away from their general community, general population. Yeah. So he had his rifles loaded, pointing at these kids in the water. But luckily, they all spoke English. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Now, I don't think they all spoke like perfect English. But Sione and Steve N.A. definitely did. And they were able to shout up and say, look, this is our names. We come from this island. This is the school we went to. Like, please, please, please. So, again, I don't know at what point, but he eventually let the ladder down. And then here were these long haired 
bollock naked, fit as fuck. <laughs> teenage boys just standing on his fucking boat. Yeah. And they told him their whole story. Now, Peter was still dubious, but he radioed back to the island for confirmation and about 20 minutes later received a very tearful response. You found them. That's our boys. Oh, wow. So it was Sunday, September 11th, 1966. And the lads had been gone for 15 months living on this island. Damn. Peter brought them straight back to Nuka Alofa. And as soon as they docked, the boat was rushed by the island police. What? The boys were arrested on the spot. Why? Mr. Taniela Yuhila couldn't care less that the boys were found. He wanted compensation for the boat that they stole in the first place. That fucking grumpy old git. <laughs> yeah. So the lads were arrested on the spot. I don't even think their families got to see them. Wow. Luckily, Peter came up with a plan. Now, he knew that this story was a moneymaker, obviously. And through his dad's company, he had connections in the TV industry. So he made a few phone calls. And he told this Australian news company, like, here, look, you have the Australian story rights. I'm going to keep the rest. But you need to make a documentary about this, like, right now. So I can pay this guy back for his boat and I won't be out of pocket like 150 pound. Yeah. Which in 1960, like it, it was a decent chunk of change. Like, So a few days later, the boys were back on their way to Atta in Peter's uh, boat to show the Channel 7 documentary crew how they had managed to survive. But like Peter, all these years later, Peter, as far as I know, is still alive. Right. The last interview I read, he was 90. Wow. And crystal clear. He would still get teary eyed talking about like finding these kids. Yeah. But he was having a good laugh saying like these fucking TV clowns got off their plane and like their pointy shoes and their suits. And then they were told, you're going to have to swim to this. island." Yeah. <laughs> None of them could swim. But thankfully... The lads were still all in tip-top shape. Like, this is only a few days out from their fucking workout regime. And they basically dragged the TV crew and all of their gear from the boat to the island. Now, the documentary that they made is on YouTube, and it's lovely to watch. But it is only 20 minutes long. And I was like, that's so weird. Like, And that's the longest piece of media about this whole yeah. story. But apparently, this TV crew just did a really bad job. I think because they were unfit and so out of their comfort zone, like I think the lads were like, hey, no, you can eat this fucking raw fish like we were. And a lot of the original footage was lost as well. It was all done on 16 mil uh, reels and it just went missing. There's also not a huge amount of other information out there, like about this story right now, for whatever reason, the lads all ended up working for Peter. Peter, like, Went out, got a new boat and everything. And his crew were the six kids. Mm -hmm. So they got to see the world. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. Like, just such a nice story. But they none of them, like, wrote a book or anything. Yeah, Peter has his own memoirs in his house. But he's like, oh, I wrote that for my grandkids. And that's Peter's story. Yeah. Like, him finding the kids is just like a tiny little blip on his fucking 90-year map. But the kids, yeah. I, and I don't know, like, they seem kind of reserved about it. I but, like, willing to talk, they're just like, well, it happened, and this is what we did to survive. But there's no, like, 
intimate details that we're used to, I guess, in this day and age. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, a few documentarians and filmmakers have picked up on the story throughout the years. Um, but again, nothing has really come into fruition. The main source that I read had been originally published as a Guardian report or a Guardian article in 2020. So like that every few years, it just kind of bubbles up in the media. And then the guy who wrote it, I have his name listed down below, um, printed the same article in his book. It was actually an excerpt of the book was the article. Anyway, there's people from New Regency, which is like one of the bigger film companies. They have the rights to the story now. They made The Revenant and uh, 12 Years a Slave, I think. So they're saying that they're going to like make a big feature film about it someday. And all the surviving members who are on the island say that they are like in regular contact with them. And they are just trying to make them keep it as true to their actual experience. I hope they do. Because, you know, like a lot of people who invest money in these films and feel like they have, have the right to change it. Like, yeah, exactly. Like, don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. Like, Yeah, like. Oh, yeah. And then one final thing. Once the lads were actually united with their families or reunited with their families and all, they had like feasts for days. Like they... <laughs> In the documentary, they were saying, like, literally, as one feast was finishing, they were preparing the next. <laughs> like, um, Peter was made, like, a national hero of Tonga, something like that. They gave him, like, a really nice title. And the king said, is there anything I can do for you? You've saved six of my people. And he said, yeah, give me permission to fucking trap loads. <laughs> That's all I want. Yeah, and he did. Good. He was granted permission. And that was actually the first... Uh, like expedition on the new boat, the Atta, mm. yeah, which was the island crewed by the six by kids. The six so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there you go. What an interesting story. Fantastic story. I was like reading through these articles and stuff in work the other day, and I was like, "This is amazing." <laughs> like, and I know there's no ghosts or anything like that. But I was like, no, this, this is too good of a story. I don't know why I haven't heard this before. Yeah. It's just like amazing. And I've linked, I think all of the, uh, I put it in my notes and it'll so it'll be in like the actual show notes here. I think all of the videos that I watched. And so you can see, I think Colo was the, the kid who made the guitar. Mm -hmm. He still has, or actually I think he gifted it to Peter. But the coconut shipwreck wood guitar is still around. Oh, wow. Yeah, and there's a video of him actually playing it <laughs> really on cool. the island. Yeah. They're not afraid of, like, Atta. Like, they've been back as adults, a couple of them. Yeah. Um, And that one example, who I think it was Colo. Anyway, it's on one of the websites that I've linked. Because uh, it was one of these documentary makers who was like, I want to go and live how you lived. Like, show me... And so he did and like was really happy like to be back. Yeah. That's interesting. You know I mean? It's such like it's a very positive part of their history, I think. Well, and well, I hope they let the chickens out once they left the island. <laughs> yeah. Something tells you those chickens are fucking fine. They survived over a hundred years on their own. You know what I mean? That's true. That's true. Very cunning. Not like poor Henrietta. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so that's it for this week, Creeps. Um, next week, I'll be back with some actual ghost stories. Um, Maybe. No promises. I mean, not if I find another story like this. Or exactly. Like the 
blew me out of the fucking water. Let me know what you guys thought about it, though, because these, like, random little pockets of just interest in history are fascinating to me. If you wouldn't mind, like, I'll do a couple of these episodes a year or something like that. Yeah. Where they might not necessarily have true crime or a thing, but they're definitely just fucking very interesting history. I like it. I loved it. It was a breath of fresh air for me. Um, but I do have a very cool book. I don't want to put too much into it. Um, it's coming in the mail, hopefully tomorrow, actually. Okay. But I've put all my eggs into these book baskets before and then I've gotten the actual books. And I'm like, this is garbage. Absolute diabolical garbage. And I've actually, because I've made friends now with other podcasts um, and these other podcasts, it's the ghost story guys, Brennan and uh, Paul. I was chatting to them and I happened to see that he covered this story of the one book that broke my fucking heart. And I was like, here, I I haven't listened to his one because I don't want to, you know, I don't want to hear him. Yeah. And then yeah. go, oh, actually, that was a pretty good take on it. Let me do that. So I said to him, I was like, here, man, what is the story of that book? I thought it was crap. And he sent back in like another voice message. So in his very, I know some of our listeners listen to the ghost story, guys. In his very like smooth radio talk. He was like, oh, it was absolute dog shit. <laughs> <laughs> and confirmed everything. So I was like, I felt uh, validated about it. But anyway, I have a potentially very cool series coming up. And uh, yeah, I am excited. Right on. Can't wait for that. Yeah. And we are going to go pack because we're going to Austin in the morning. Cool. To hopefully take pictures of July talk. Yeah. And we are going to make a video about it. Oh, okay. Well, cool. just about our trip anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be streaming tomorrow and my TikTok's going to be... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make one tomorrow when we get to our destination. Yeah bitch yeah all right so stay tuned for that yeah oh and it's a very interesting place that we're staying to all right so we're gonna go because i'm hungry oh okay (laughs) (laughs) okay bye bye